Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Good morning. Good to see you all. It's good to see you. We're back in our class this week. Uh, Today we're looking at sin. Okay, so we've looked at being made in God's image, uh, male and female. He created them. Last week we looked at human responsibility and freedom. Today we're looking at sin. And and then the next we're going to close out our class with the person of Christ and the work of Christ. Okay, and so today these are what we're looking at, the main topics, original goodness, the nature of sin, the origin of sin, the fall of mankind, and man's total depravity. So in Genesis 1, we've been looking at Genesis 1 and 2, what, when God stated that his creation was good, what did that mean? It was perfect. Okay, what do you mean by it was perfect? Yes, that, that is thrown out. But. There were no flaws, there were no, uh, everything was in harmony. Okay. Nothing died, especially there was no death. Okay. Okay, all right, good, good, evil deeds, yep, okay, what's that? Weeds, <laughs> okay, all right, all right, what else, when God said his creation was good, did he mean by that? So, perfect, that's a, that's a kind of a, a good overarching idea, what else? Okay, okay. Okay, yeah, so no, no change was needed at that time, right? Um, when, it, when creation was made, when, uh, there was no, no change needed, okay? All right, good. What else? There, at that point, there was no evil. When, when, when creation was made, okay? And we'll look at that, and that, again, is one of the hard questions of Scripture, is the existence of evil. We're not going to get into that. This class, we're just going to look at sin and how it came into the world, um, and we're not going to really look at the why. Uh, that can be a separate class. There have been books written on all these topics. So that could be a book in itself, okay? Um, but <clears throat> we look at why God said this was good. It was perfect. There wasn't any evil. It, was, it didn't need to be changed or, or uh, anything adapted. Roger? Okay, all right. As he planned it, okay, and and he even said, and so his word in saying it was good, uh, even said that, right? Even even uh, testifies to that to that it was part of his plan, okay, and his perfect plan, okay, all right, <clears throat> good. So when we think of goodness, how do we use that word now? Okay, okay. So uh, maybe a, a way of of encouraging somebody in 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 their work. Okay, all right. What else? Excuse me, I, I didn't hear you. Okay. Okay, 
So, so yeah, so the, a level of something, right? If it's good, there's a higher level of, of something, whether it's, it's a quality or there's a moral character to it. Yeah, good, we'll, we'll look, get into that. I was thinking a similar line, but I'll add pleasing. Okay. Something's pleasing. Okay. All right. And, and we'll look at that. That's, that's a big, that was a big part of sin, right, of what happened. was, was what we, They looked at something. She looked at something. Eve looked at something, and it looked good, right? It looked pleasing. So, um, so on your handouts there, we'll look at there's a couple different types of goodness, all right? <clears throat> so the first is teleological goodness, all right? So following each stage of creation in Genesis 1, God gives the positive evaluation of what he's done. It was good. It is good, it says in Scripture. So the last verses include the entire finished creation, including man. And good is a broad term of approval, right? The broadest term possible of approval. And so there are, of course, various kinds of goodness. So teleological goodness is useful for some purpose. Like we speak of a good car or a good hammer, right? It's used for a type of purpose. It's good for something, okay? <clears throat> Aesthetic goodness uh, usually refers to something pleasing to the eye, okay? something beautiful, maybe some type of art that someone's made. The sunshine, uh, sunset are examples of this, of aesthetic goodness. Okay? And then there's moral goodness, right? Uh, applied to persons who've obeyed God's commands and therefore are uh, offered God's blessings, okay? are given God's blessings as well. So scripture applies this moral goodness to us to our attitudes and to our actions. So a hammer may be teleologically good, but it does not obey God's moral law to merit God's blessings, so it cannot be morally good. Okay? This is a personal quality only applied to humans <coughs> and God himself. <coughs> when God declared creation good, he meant good in every sense appropriate to every creature. The earth, plants, and animals were useful, they were fascinating, they were beautiful. And each was formed and acted perfectly according to its God-given purpose, as uh, Roger said. So Adam and Eve were good in their senses, but they were also morally good at that time. Their thoughts, their words, their deeds pleased God. Otherwise, God would not have declared them good. So their very nature pleased him. They were good people and good servants of God. And they bore God's image without distortion. Okay? <clears throat> so God did not make this in a morally neutral state, so that we could achieve goodness by our own decisions, God gave Adam and Eve a created nature and character that was good. The scripture does not teach that moral goodness and sin are always the result of conscious choice. Even before the fall, it's God who determines the moral character of his creatures. Okay, we'll look at that. All right. Uh, I have been picking on the front uh, rows the last few weeks. I'm going to pick on the back. So, Reese, can you read that for us? Can you guys see that in the back? <clears throat> All right. So scripture teaches that character does indeed affect, excuse me, affect our decisions. It's best for us to stick to what scripture says about man's original condition, even though we may think it solves, it fails to solve our satisfaction, the mystery of how sin entered the world. So we'll look at that. <clears throat> but when God cre when, when created by God, Adam and Eve were purely and simply good. There was no defect in them. They were the image of God and holy in thought, word, and deed. 
So we should first look at the nature of sin, okay? <clears throat> so first of all, before we do go into sin, let's keep going along the lines of good, uh, of good. So what, if we talk about, Scripture talks about good works, how do we, how do we achieve good works? Okay? What's a criteria, some criteria for uh, doing those good works? Okay, okay, focused on God, okay, good. Through faith, okay. According to God's law. Okay. According to God's law. They bear What's that? They bear, they bear good fruit. Okay. Just like the passage says, right? Okay. Anything else? Okay. All right. Okay, good. Yeah. So we see here, right? <clears throat> These are the criteria of good works. There's a standard. We talked about it ultimately being God's standard, okay? There's the goal of what is to be accomplished, okay? And then there's the motive, all right? So when we look at, when we think about good works, and we'll look at Ephesians 2, it talks about good works, okay? A good or righteous deed is one that obeys a proper standard, God's law. It seeks the proper goal, God's glory and his kingdom, and is motivated by correct and rightful motives, by true faith and love, Okay? So, the only way that we can do good works is by Jesus changing us, and we'll look at that, okay? But the criteria for good works is, is that sin has obviously tainted all those things. <clears throat> so, the nature of sin is, this is the definition by the Westminster Confession, that sin is, is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Tell me what that means in simplistic terms. Those are some big old old words that are used. Yes, Andrea. It means you don't do what God requires and you do what God Okay. All right, good. That's a great way of putting it. Thank you. You don't do what God requires, you do do what God forbids. Okay? All right. <clears throat> and so if we look at sin in those same three criteria, okay, that we looked at on the on the last one, standard goal, a motive of good works. Sin is disobedience, it's self-glorification, and it's unbelief or hatred as the motive, okay? So the standard is disobedience, okay? The goal is self-glorification, and the motive is unbelief or hatred, okay? So then sin is the defect of those three things of good work. It's a false standard, a false goal, and a false motive, okay? So the first sin of, diso of disobedience, the first sin was disobedience to a specific command. All of Scripture calls us to obey God, and it's, it's a command because it is the Word of God. It's what He calls us to do. Okay? We're saved entirely by God's grace, but grace saves us for good works, to do good works for God. Okay? God gives grace, and we seek to obey. And this is a relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility that we spoke about last week, okay? <clears throat> All right. Abby, will you, can you read that for us, please? The thing is trustworthy, and I want you to improve some of these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Thank you. So our life in covenant with God is not only a God... Is, is not only a life of obeying commands, it's seeking to bring God glory in a relationship of faith and walking with him, okay? 
All right? <clears throat> so, again, the saying is trustworthy. I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But the only way we can do good works is because of God's work in us, changing us first. All right? <clears throat> All right, so let's look at this passage. Tate, will you read that for us? Thank you. Okay, thank you, Matthew, just from Jesus speaking in Matthew 12, okay? So the three things of disobedience, self-glorification, and unbelief and hatred help us understand that sin is a condition of the heart, right? And it affects all areas of our lives. The fall did not begin with Eve's eating of the fruit, but with her inner intention to eat the fruit, okay? And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount emphasizes that God's commands are not merely external, right? He says that even if we think about sinful thoughts, that is sin, right? Even if we uh, have a, a, a hatred in our minds, that's the same as murder, right? Thou shalt not murder covers the act, but anger that leads to that is also covered, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery covers the act of lust, but again, the thought of that is sin as well. So sin, and we'll look at that, is a disruption. It's a distortion of, the, of our core being. It's a change that we inherit from Adam uh, that he had been imputed to us, okay? And it turns us away from God's good commands and it embraces rebellious disobedience to God's word, all right? So, sin is irrational. Why would, it, why would I say sin is irrational? Why would, why would that be a statement? that we should embrace. Why is sin irrational? It's self-destructive. Okay. All right. Well, how so? Um, when you sin, you turn yourself farther away from God and thus separate yourself and condemn yourself. Okay. All right. Okay. So it's, it's yeah, it's self-destructive. That's great. That's a great point. Okay, all right. Okay, so there's clear, a clear difference in blessings, okay, for obedience versus curses, okay? What else? All right, and, and we are given feelings for different reasons, right? But at times, it, even our thoughts can be, everything has been tainted. Our emotions, our thoughts, everything has been tainted by sin, right? Yeah, <clears throat> but at times it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, right? When we think about why we sin, at times it just doesn't make sense. And really, why would anyone turn away from the beauty and the joy of a relationship with God and embrace the opposite? Right? Why would anyone think he or she can succeed in opposing God's power and his grace and his love? Okay? And that's what sin does. We're opposing those things. All right? <clears throat> so let's look at the origin of sin. Uh, these are two longer passages, and we're going to look 
look at those uh, in detail. Uh, you want to read that next one for me, Micah? Thank you. Caleb, can you continue for us, please? Are you having a problem reading? If you, if you don't need your glasses, go ahead. Just, just move on. That's okay. Sorry. If you can't see it, just let me know. Just. And the man and his wife will be held to be the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who Okay, thank you. Sorry if you couldn't see it, Caleb. Uh, so, sin is not an aspect of man's created nature. It's simply part now of who we are. We've inherited it from uh, Adam, and, uh, and we are, it's imputed to us. It's how, what we're born in, okay? But it's the disruption and distortion of a personal relationship here, okay? It begins in a historical series of events that we've called the fall of man, okay? So, there's, there's things that go on. There's a historical... Uh, context to it, okay? But if we look at these two passages, at the same passage that on these two pages, what are some of the distortions in the relationship that happen here? Okay, okay, later on they, they hid themselves, okay? Yeah, okay. Before that, that hadn't been the case, right? In, in Genesis 2, they were naked and unashamed, said, so they, didn't, they weren't ashamed of their physical bodies, okay? What else? What about their relationship with God? What's been distorted? Okay, all right. We see that, definitely, okay? That's part of it. What else? Ah, okay, good. So he, he begins by having them questioning God's word, doesn't he? 
right? That's a distortion in our relationship with God, too, is when we question His Word as not completely true, that's a distortion. So Satan tempts by doing that, okay? So again, these, some of these distortions are things that we should be aware of even now that we might fall into temptation, too, okay? Satan begins questioning God's Word, okay? Then what happens? What happens to Eve after, after he says that statement? Okay, okay, right. But she turns from considering God's word and begins to think that even she knows better. Oh, so he's saying this. Maybe that's the case, right? Okay, and she follows her senses, right? We looked at that. If you look at the passage, okay, what, what, is about, what's, what qualities are about the fruit? Okay, all right. So she sees a good quality of the forbidden fruit, right? Oh, there's some good things about this, right? And then she reasons that these good qualities are good enough reason for her to eat the fruit and to disobey God, okay? All right, what about Adam and Eve? What about their relationship? What's, what's going on here? Where's the, what's the distortion going on here? Adam failed to lead, failed to protect his wife. Okay, all right. He's clearly present there, right? She hands the fruit over and he eats, okay? He doesn't exercise godly leadership with her, okay? We talked about as they're made together, one of man's responsibilities is to be the moral leader. Clearly in this situation, he was not doing that. He was silent, right? He was quiet. He was just standing there, okay? And then when confronted, what does he do? Okay, blames the wife that you've given me, right, as a helpmate and... And ultimately blames God. He's doing this, right? Uh-uh. That's not my fault. It's not, the, it's not my fault. It's this woman that you've given me, right, as a helpmate, as a blessing. He blames her, okay? Then, and ultimately, he's blaming God, right? Okay? So that the relationship is clearly distorted and disrupted by these things, okay? So it's a, 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 sin is a, is a disruption of a personal relationship with God, and it brings further disruption, and it's an attempt to overturn the order of God's creation. In God's order, he's the ultimate authority. Adam is a subordinate authority, and Eve is submit to both Adam and God. We talked about that, okay? <clears throat> Together, they have dominion over the animals and the earth, but in the story of the fall, Eve submits to an animal, the man submits to his wife, and both claim to be judges over God. And so we see this distortion, okay? <clears throat> so God's response to the fall, all right? Uh, can you uh, open your Bibles and read Genesis 3, 14 through 23 for me? If you don't have them, I can read it. Actually, I'll just, I'll do it. I'll, I'll read it. All right, so this is, this is God's response. All right, so just listen. <clears throat> the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle. And... And more than every beast of the field, on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which, about which I have commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. 
because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all li the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God has sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so what are the cursings here? in the fall. What are the curses? What's that? Okay. All right. Let's list them. What's that? Okay. Let's, all right. Let's start with the woman. All right. So you mentioned childbirth, pain and childbirth. Okay. What else? Okay. All right. So there's, again, a clear distinction and a distortion of a relationship there, okay, that will continue, all right, all right, what else? What other curses are there? What's that? Okay, work has now become hard, right? Work has become toilsome. Work was established before the fall, okay, but now it's become hard. Now it's toilsome, all right, okay? So they're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna be, be painful now, right? There's pain both for the woman now in childbirth and for the man in his, in his responsibility of, of uh, providing as well, right? Okay, so pain, we see pain now become an issue, okay, to deal with, all right? What else? Thorns, thistles, weeds. Okay, gonna be a fight against, to, to, to provide fruit now, right? Okay, so before the mandate was to be fruitful and multiply, and the garden provided that fruit, right? God said all of these things, every tree, every plant that provides fruit is for you. Now it's going to be a fight to produce that fruit, okay? So there's going to be conflict, not only just with the ground, but now with one another as well, right? Okay? All right. Ah, good. So kicked out, right? Okay? They're sent away from the garden, okay? <clears throat> all right? Okay. Okay. All right. Absolutely. So death now uh, becomes something that is unavoidable, right? Uh, because of sin. Okay. Yes. Well, if if we consider that communion with God, then yes, there's a there's a distinction and a clear break with their communion with God. Definitely. Okay. All right. All right. What else? Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about that. Is that actually a curse? Okay. All right. Okay. 
All right, so there's both, actually. There's a curse in now that there's pain as well between even animals, right? In that, in that the, she will bruise his, his heel, right? But it's also 315 is a blessing in that. And we, we look at that as what's called the proto-evangelion, the first good news, the first gospel is here in Genesis 3.15. Right after sin has entered the world, God provides a, a need of a, a way of escape through Jesus Christ. Okay, So this is in Jesus, as we see in Luke, his ge- genealogy, we've talked about that, goes all the way back to Adam. right? And so we see that, that her seed will crush his head. And so there's blessings even in the midst of cursings here. right? Okay, that being the main one, the proto-evangelion, the first good news of the gospel, because Jesus is ultimately gonna, going to make, going to reconcile our relationship with God, right? That's been distorted, that's been disrupted. Okay, so that's huge. Okay, what other blessings do we see even in the midst of these curses? Yeah, they're not completely destroyed, right? Which God could have perfectly done, absolutely. Okay, so they're not destroyed, okay? What else? Okay. Okay, the cultural mandate hasn't changed, right? They're still called to be fruitful and multiply and still given that ability, right, to do that, right? Okay, good. Okay, what else? Okay. Okay, all right. So she's the, the, the mother of Christ, and we'll look at how sin is actually passed through Adam and not Eve, right? Because ultimately in this, Adam is responsible. God calls Adam to be responsible. Um, and so through, even though his wife, ate, Eve, ate the fruit first and gave it to him, we see he was sitting there doing nothing. He was not leading the way he should be. He was not uh, uh, responsible as he should have been, right? And so th- we talk about sin being passed down to Adam. The First Corinthians talks about that because Adam was ultimately responsible, okay? <clears throat> All right? And so the blessing also is that even though they're sent away from the garden, as Kevin said, they, they're still faith in God's promise that they take with them, and they're still able to work ground even outside, even outside of, the, uh, of, of the garden, right? But ultimately, the blessing, the, the eternal blessing, is the first good news of Jesus Christ that's given here, okay? <clears throat> All right? So now let's look at the effects of the fall, all right? First, first effect is guilt. Okay? Scripture teaches that we are all guilty of sin because we, it's imputed to us, it's put on us from Adam. We're born in sin. Okay? All right. Uh, where are we at? Kevin, will you read the next passage for me, please? Thank you. Okay, so we see this comparison here that the Apostle Paul is making between Adam, the first, the first man, and sin coming down through Adam, and now Jesus, the perfect man, uh, who redeems us all. Okay, and we'll look at that. But first, it's the, the first effect is guilt. Okay, that we are guilty of sin because of Adam's first sin. So, Michelle, will you read that next one for us, please? The next passage. 
Okay, thank you. All right. <clears throat> so we're all, we're all guilty of Adam's sin, not just that we're punished for it, but that we are actually guilty of that sin. So the term that's used is original sin, okay? And sometimes that's used to refer to different things, okay? Um, at times it's used to refer to Adam's first sin, sometimes to our guilt uh, in Adam's sin, and sometimes to our uh, uh, <clears throat> present sinful condition, okay? All right. It means all of those things, but others have suggested to use the, the term inherited sin. So the sin of Adam is ours, is our sin, and therefore God is right to judge us for it. And Adam's sin needs, leads not only to our punishment, but it leads to our sinful status before God, our guilt. Okay? So it's imputed, it's put on us. Okay? <clears throat> All right? Uh, and the next effect is punishment. We mentioned death. Uh, where are we at? Sir, will you read the next passage for us? Okay, thank you. All right, so in Genesis 3, we see God's pronounced punishments on the serpent, on Eve, and on Adam. Those punishments continue with us. The serpent still travels on his belly. Okay, enmity between man and Satan continues, and it defines the major conflict of human history. Okay, women, women still experience pain in childbirth, and men still pain and, pain and toil in their labor. Okay, all of this leads to death. Death is described as the punishments as a whole. Okay. All of human life is a shadow of impeding death. <clears throat> and Ezekiel 18 states that the soul who sins shall die, right? And we see that here in Romans as well, okay? Uh, the next punishment, cosmic redemption. We'll look at that. So, Becky, will you read that, that passage for us, okay? Okay, thank you. So, the idea here is that Jesus not only saves us, but our sin has tainted everything, has tainted the whole world, okay? So the point of cosmic redemption isn't that the stars and planets have sinned and need atonement for like we do. The point is that uh, the sin of man has led to the twisting of the whole universe that only the redemption of, man, human, of, of mankind can set it right, okay? So sin affects us all, not uh, only, but it affects the entire creation. And natural evil in the world is the result of moral evil because of sin. All right. <clears throat> All right. All right. The next one is corruption. Okay. The next effect, corruption and our impact on descendants. Will you read that for us? Okay. So as, as it impacts Adam's descendants, it impacts all of us, and it's a condition of our heart. Right. Okay, so the third consequence of the first sin is its impact on the moral character of Adam's descendants. Adam's first sin begets more sin. As we continue in, gener in, in Genesis, as you read the sin of Cain, murdered his brother, the sin of Lamech, who boasted of his murder and vengeance, and all of the other sins that we commit each and every day. And so scripture's si uh, description of sin, apart from God's grace, are terrible and awful. Okay? And taken by themselves... These, those passages that only describe sin destroy hope, okay? But the, the good news is we, that's not the end of it. That's not well, all that Scripture talks about. We have hope in Jesus Christ, and we'll look at that, okay? So one main reason for this, for the reason that it destroys hope, <clears throat> is that it takes away the hope that we can save ourselves from our sin, okay? We need to see sin at its worst in order to fully appreciate what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
So this is the message of redemption, to turn to Christ to deliver us from ourselves and our sinful nature. But this continuing sin is, first of all, a heart condition that we all deal with. Okay? All right? <clears throat> all right. Next, uh, next effect, deadness. Where are we at? Anya, will you read that for us? Thank you. So our scripture says, as a dead man can't get up and walk around, so a morally dead person can't do those works that please God. Okay? The sinful, our sinful nature is not something that we acquire during our time. It's ours from birth. Psalm 51, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So all of us, except Jesus Christ, are sinners. And all human beings, except Jesus, are sinful from birth and from our hearts. And as sinful people, we cannot do anything good in God's sight. Even in corruption, God is still gracious to us. Do we sin as much as we could? No, no, we don't, do we? Or in general, we don't, okay? Part of God's love and care for us and for the world is that he actually restrains sin, right? Okay, that's part of God's graciousness to all of us, to his, to his creation, to mankind, okay? God prevents people from being as bad as they could be, okay? We look at, in Genesis, again, it prevents the men of Babel from doing all the wickedness that was in their hearts. Okay? He keeps King Abimelech from sexual sin with Abraham's wife, Sarah. He restricts the evil of Satan himself. But this doesn't change the fact that we are truly dead in our sins. Even our best deeds are filthy rags. There is none righteous, no, not one, Scripture says. Our deadness pertains to every aspect of our life. So scripture also speaks to being a slave in bondage to sin. Our sinful nature forces us to sin only, and we cannot free ourselves from this bondage. All right? So what's the difference between temptation and sin? That's a difference. Okay? We, we need to remember this. At temptation, uh, we're getting close to our finished closing time, so I'll just read here. Our temptation exists only when, uh, exists when one person tries to influence another to sin. Okay? Oftentimes, that's Satan tempting us, right? Uh, it's, never, it's always the work of Satan, never the work of God. Our passage here, James 1, says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Okay? So for most of church history, the church summarizes sources of temptation as being the world, the flesh, and the devil. And 1 John 2 speaks of those, of the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. All right? And aren't these the same temptations that Eve deals with in Genesis 3.6? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and ate. Okay, so let's remember the temptations that we struggle with that Satan uses to lead us to sin. All right, <clears throat> all right. Now, we are, to we are totally depraved. The Reformed tradition, the extent of sin has been described as total depravity. Every aspect of ourselves has been tainted with sin. There's not a speck of goodness in us. There's nothing in us that we can grow into being good. Okay, excuse me. <clears throat> so... 
Romans 8, 8, 8, 8 says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And this is what is crucial. No matter how good a person may be, uh, no matter how high their degree of relative goodness, no matter how much they contribute to the well-being of society, no matter how little of degree of his sin or the extent of God's grace to him, we will always fail in this respect that we cannot please God. Now, some, some, instead of using total depravity, have used a told, you wanted to use the term total inability, right? So we cannot please God. We are unable to do that. We cannot save ourselves from his wrath. And Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father has sent him and draws him to me, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we can't come to God out of our own strength or resources. We have no hope but God's grace, and we have no hope but in Jesus Christ that we see as the promise given to us in Genesis 3.15, okay? <clears throat> so total depravity is also not absolute depravity. Absolute depravity is a condition of the devil himself. He is as bad as he can be, but those that, are, that don't know God are still not capable of doing anything genuinely good. They may be able to do works that are less bad, but they're never able to do anything that pleases God, okay? But God needs to still change them, and they are still totally depraved. All right. So we see here, as we close, this is a Westminster Confession. I'm not going to go over that. Um, you can look at that if you want. I can send it to you. Uh, it's chapter 7 that talks about the fall. All right. And our only hope is in Jesus Christ. That's what we, we're, we're celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper this morning. Okay. This is the hope that we have that God's given us, the only hope in Jesus Christ to forgive our sins, that he has paid the penalty for our sins. And that's what we remember. That's what we're connected to God through this, the, this meal that we celebrate through the Holy Spirit, because God has overcome our corruption, has reestablished our relationship with God and given us new birth. And that is, that is our hope. Now we're reborn by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we can do good works because of that. So 10 o'clock, Luke, will you close us in prayer, please? <clears throat> Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.